It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Monday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Toronto Raptors split a weekend back-to-back with the Wolves and the Bucks, and it looked pretty good in the process. We'll talk about why this was very much a weekend to build on for the Raptors. We'll also talk about Scotty Barnes' injury, Fred Van Vliet's finishing, Precious Achua returns to the rotation, so much more coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it, so like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by OP. Get that garbage out of here. Uh-huh. Hey. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1363, I think, of Locked On Raptors for Monday, March the 20th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can follow the show at Locked On Raptors as well. And you can subscribe to the podcast for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every day. Don't miss an episode. It would make us your first listen each and every day as well. It's always much appreciated when you do that. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code Locked On. On. All right, on today's show, digging into, I think, a pretty fun weekend of hoop for your Toronto Raptors with a nice win over the Wolves, 122-107. Obviously, a depleted Wolves team with still no Carl Anthony Towns and no Anthony Edwards uh, after he hurt himself, not to mention, uh, you know, the whole team on the Wolves side of things being a little bit fatigued, I would suggest, after going to double overtime in Chicago on Friday night, not getting into Toronto till like 4.30 a.m. So, yeah, schedule advantage for sure, but the Raptors took care of business and then the Bucks game look they lose to the Bucks I know there's no real moral victories anymore because of the state of the team and where the standings sit and all of that but I kind of think this was like a moral victory they felt it felt good it looked like they had their stuff in order against the Bucks in a way that I don't really know if they've had against really top competition throughout the season and yeah just I, I don't know it, it felt encouraging it felt like watching the real Raptors play basketball there was some bad stuff that came out of it the fourth quarter was certainly a bit of an adventure not the best offensive performance you'll ever see Will Barton kind of shooting the team out of it in sections uh, not to mention Pascal and Fred kind of uh, you know understandably getting swallowed up by the abyss that is the Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez triumvirate on defense, but still... Lots of good stuff to take away. We're going to get into some of those takeaways, including Precious Achua's return to the rotation and looking pretty good yesterday against the Bucks. We'll get to the good, the bad, and the hmm. We'll talk about Scotty Barnes' injury, Fred Van Vliet's finishing around the basket. All that stuff is coming up. But I want to get into my big takeaway from the weekend first. And for me, I just feel like right now the Raptors are in a spot where the offense is starting to coalesce and make some sense. 
process-wise. The results have been middling. They're the number 19 offense in the league since the Yakupertle trade to go along with the ninth best defense. Uh, the defense obviously has, I think, seen more drastic and obvious improvement since the arrival. But I, I do think Yakupertle has really helped to organize the process for the Raptors offense as well. And I think you're seeing now they're layering in more stuff to make the offense flow with, again, that sort of yak Fred Van Vliet pick and roll that we've talked about so much, kind of operating as the backbone and the sort of bailout play, the thing they can go to at any time to start or try to finish off a possession that's maybe fizzled out uh, elsewhere, that is. Um, You know, that's still the backbone, but now they're sort of sprinkling in some other stuff that's adding some more flow to the way things are working. And I think... I test wise, look, the numbers aren't matching it just yet. They're still, you know, they're 25th and half court offensive rating uh, per cleaning the glass since the Yakupertle trade. The results are not there, but again, the process looks good. And obviously when Yakupertle has been on the floor, the Raptors have been incredible on both ends of the floor. So the offense has in fact worked pretty well with him out there, specifically in that starting lineup uh, that we've seen really cruise against most teams. And then of course, yesterday with Gary Trent Jr. slotting in for the injured Scotty Barnes, that lineup finally got into the kind of groove I think most people expected that lineup to hit at some point, considering the amount of shooting and playmaking and just the geometric sense that that look makes. Uh, I think it's not a surprise. It finally looked pretty good yesterday in the third quarter, scoring 39 points in the Bucks. It was really, really nice. Good, good promising signs there. And I think that goes towards sort of my general thought on the way the offense is working. And that, yeah, the numbers haven't been there just yet. But if you watch the way things are being pieced together, the way they're able to bail out possessions with reasonable sort of second options, plan B, plan C, plan D, all of this down the line. And they're doing it, I think, by putting each guy in a position where he can kind of do the thing he's best at. I'll tell you what I mean. Like the Fred Yak thing, obviously, you're getting Fred working in in such comfort right now, right? He's got a lot of space. The roll gravity of Yak is opening up that mid-range area for him. He's been crushing it from the long mid-range since the Yak trade. 55% on long mid-range jumpers uh, since the arrival of Yak Apertle, up from 45% in the 47 games before that. Some of that's probably small sample noise and a hot shooting streak. But also, if you look at those looks... All of those mid-range looks that Fred's coming into are just wide open, in rhythm. He's just stepping into them, coming around the screen, and they're right there for him. They're good looks. They are his shots. Same as Jakob Pertl. He's getting his shots out of those pick-and-roll actions, right? He's getting those short floaters. He's getting in close to the rim. He's finishing lobs, that type of stuff. That's all Jakob Pertl's stuff. And then you kind of expand it out, right? OG Ananobi, we've seen, he is really fitting in nicely next to Yaka Pirtle. He is benefiting massively from the abundance of wide-open threes that are coming his way just because of the amount of paint touches they're getting with Fred getting in deep and Pascal and Scotty and all of this. Uh, he's benefiting huge there, and they're also now letting him kind of operate in those little flourishes you know, kind of doing a little bit of self-creation, but mostly in situations where he's historically been pretty good. You know, they're not having him go and run pick and roll necessarily a ton of times down the floor in a row. They're not having him be like the central offensive creative force, but he's getting these opportunities as like a second option guy. It's swinging to him on the wing. He's driving. He's scoring that way. He's stepping into mid-range jumpers in a very calm and casual fashion. Again, usually after the defense has been tilted for him to begin a possession and you're seeing the efficiency for OG. It's ridiculous. Kirtika, the stats queen of Raptors Twitter, pointed out it's 
Now seven games in a row for OG, over 50% from the field. He's got like an 86% true shooting in that time. He's been just phenomenal. And it's because it's all coming to him in spots where it's really easy for OG to maintain efficiency, right? The catch and shoot threes have always been a big thing for him. The sort of, again, the second side creation, not as the primary guy, but as someone who can exploit an already exploited defense. That stuff he's always been good at. And then you get the back cuts, the parade of dunks he's getting from Jakob Hurdle elbow passes. All of that is stuff he's always been good at. The cutting, the off-ball movement, and it's all coming together for a super efficient and pretty productive offensive player to go along with, obviously, just the ridiculous menacing defense he plays. And then you have Pascal Siakam, which I think the last couple of games have really shown, uh, I think, another example of the Raptors trying to put their guys in the best spots to succeed. We've talked about Pascal having trouble getting comfortable with this new look Raptors team for a while now, right? You know, he has not been, uh, you know, he's been the hardest guy to incorporate, I would say, since Yak arrived. The spacing is obviously off. There are less channels for him to just get to the basket and do his thing. And so they're trying now, it seems, a concerted effort here to get him more post-ups, which has always been a thing he's been successful with. This season, he's averaging just a smidge under one point possession as a post-up score, which is in the upper half of the league efficiency-wise, 57th percentile or something like that per the NBA.com numbers. Not amazing, but like, We know those are productive plays. We know Pascal, in the right matchup, he can go to work. He can spin guys into oblivion. He can play make out of those double teams that are going to come his way really effectively, way more so than, say, back in the the bubble in 2020, where that weakness of his game was exploited. It's obviously expanded so much since then because he's just a bloody good playmaker. And we're seeing even now in games where he's not putting up crazy efficiency. You know, he was 5 of 14 last night. The Giannis Brook Lopez thing, uh, you know, Chris Middleton did a good job as the original guarder on him, but then you have Giannis and Lopez waiting at the rim. It's going to be tricky. He missed some threes as well. He was what four of nine on two, so not like horrible, kind of what you expect against a really good rim protection team like the Bucks, but still. Not the most efficient night, but he still had seven assists. And a lot of that, you know, we saw it down the stretch, the beautiful footwork and the pivot foot and the patience waiting for Jakob Pertle underneath for those big-to-big passes. We know he's obviously got the, the playmaking out of double teams to swing it around and get the ball moving around the horn. And I think, again, we've seen not a whole lot of Pascal Siakam posting up the last couple seasons. Seems like we've seen anecdotally. The numbers you can't isolate on NBA.com for the uh, specific stretches of games for the player tracking stuff, which is unfortunate, but it does seem to the eye that Pascal's posting up more, and I like working that in as a means by which you can get Pascal to his spots, to the places where he is going to be successful on the floor, without having to have him run every possession and do his probing, dribbling thing from the top of the arc like he's done for the most part these last couple seasons as the offensive engine. This seems like a good way to get him back incorporated with a good, healthy number of touches into the Raptors' offense. And, and, you know, again, you can't just only post him up, obviously, but he did a bloody good job. You know, first bucket of the game against the Bucks, just spinning uh, Chris Middleton into oblivion. You've got Torian Prince, who just had no chance against him whatsoever. Uh, They're really trying to get him mismatch hunting again, which he's always been very good at. There are plenty of guys in the league who just can't stay in front of Pascal's first step. They can't handle him physically. And I think that's got to be the way you kind of work him in. And the Raptors, I think, are showing that they've tried to do that. You have Gary Trent Jr. working in the way he's kind of always worked just as like an off-ball beneficiary of other guys tilting the defense and creating advantages overall. The flow, the way the offense connects, the way they are stringing together full possessions of like meaningful actions and progression towards the looks they want, the number of times they're actually getting a good look out of these possessions feels 
you know, there's been a significant uptick there. They haven't completed those those looks all the time. They've had, you know, spells where it's gone a little rough. Third quarter against the Wolves comes to mind, obviously. Fourth quarter against the Bucks. It's still not perfect, but the process is there. And they're doing it again by getting guys into the position where they can most succeed. By doing things that historically they've been very good at. Scotty Barnes, I think, is the next guy to try to weave in here. We'll talk about Scotty later. He, it's a little harder with him because I think there's still some uncertainty as to like what are his shots, as it were. Like what are the looks you're trying to get him to? But he's 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 got a lot of stuff going for him. I'm sure they'll figure it out, and uh, hopefully it's not too long they can get till they can get him back in the lineup and continue layering him into the offense in a more consistent, regular way. We'll get to that a little later on. We're also going to get to a couple of quick notes from the weekend. Precious Achua's return to the rotation. Fred Van Vliet's finishing. It's been really impressive. He looks just incredible right now. We're going to get to that in just one sec, and then we'll get to the good, the bad, and the hmm to round up the show. Before we do all that, however, I've got to tell you about our good friends today over at prize picks who are making daily fantasy sports fun easy and super accessible i am the kind of person who does not like to play season-long fantasy sports i've retired from the game it's just too much work i don't care enough about football or even just keeping track of a basketball team all season long to want to play season-long fantasy prize picks makes it so you can ditch the season-long grind and just play on the days where you want to play it's daily fantasy sports made fun and easy you pick two to six players on any entry and if they get more or less than the specific stat you are making the projection pick against then you're going to win up to 25 times your money if you get all six of those entries correct and again it's just are they going to get more or less than what prize picks has projected in a given stat so pascal siakam 22 and a half points more or less you take that you get it right you are winning baby and you can do cross sport entries as well maybe you're a puckhead maybe you like baseball as the mlb season draws near Maybe you want to mix a little NBA with college basketball as March Madness goes on on both the men's and women's sides. You can do all of that with prize picks. Go check them out. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals are currently operational in over 30 states in Canada and every province except for Ontario at the moment. Download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code locked on. That means if you put in 100 bucks, 100 bucks is just going to appear courtesy prize picks in your account to hang out with your original $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 with prize picks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, continuing on here with your first listen of the day, breaking down the Raptors' one-and-one weekend against the Wolves and the Bucks. Again, a weekend, I think, to build on, a weekend to feel pretty good about, a weekend to maybe get you thinking about sweeping an upcoming four-game homestand against the Pacers, the Wizards, the Pistons, and the Miami Heat. All very winnable games, all very important games as the Raptors try to track down that eighth seed, uh, and you see a long scrolling on the bottom for the viewers if you're watching on YouTube, but we can refresh the standings as well for the play-in conversation. If you'd like, the Raptors currently ninth place, 35 and 37. Half a game back of the Hawks, who lost to the Spurs yesterday. Boy, that's a bad loss for the Hawks. Just nasty stuff. They have the Pistons, I think, tomorrow. Uh, so that's a, a scoreboard watching night to be sure. 
The Heat are maybe gaining on the Nets right now. They're tied in the win column at 39 with them. I think you'd probably, all things considered, rather play the Nets in a playoff or a play-in situation in that 7-8 than the Heat. So I think I'm rooting now for the Heat to pass the Nets, as it seems like catching the Heat is probably off the table for the Raptors. Um, you know, you've got the Bulls playing pretty decent ball right now, 33-37 at 10th place, tied in the loss column with the Raptors. Uh, they're always liable to lose games they should win, though. So, you know, there's no guarantee they're going to make up those two wins. And then... Because, yeah, they're two wins back of the Raptors right now. And then the Pacers and Wizards, both 32 and 39. The Pacers are playing better. The Wizards feel like they're totally fading. It would be nice if the Raptors could beat both of those teams and squarely knock them out of contention for 10 by the end of the, the, the week. That would be bloody swell, let me tell you. All right. Let's get back into the sort of uh, run of the show, shall we? The sort of other micro takeaways I had from the weekend. There are two guys in particular who are standing out right now. And, you know, Fred Van Vliet, we talked about him in the mid-range shooting, the way he's getting to all of his looks. His pull-ups have just become that much more wide open and easy to get to with Jakob Pertl laying massive screens on the guys who are guarding him. Uh, you know, Fred was incredible yesterday against the, 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 the Bucks. He was their best player. He's been their best player, I think, over the last... 10, 15 games here, honestly. Pascal has gone on hard times, but they've had Fred really, really ratcheting it up. It was really lovely to see them both have great games against the Wolves on Saturday, and I guess against the Thunder on Thursday as well. They haven't really lined up for excellent performances all that often this season, and it was great to see it on Saturday. Um, But Fred, I think the thing that's really standing out to me right now is the way he's finishing in close. And look, this is a weird day to go off on this because he was 6 of 13 on twos against the Milwaukee Bucks. Just doing some quick math on the fly here from the box score. Uh, Not like an amazing night scoring at the rim or anything like that. But I do think we're seeing a new wrinkle added to his game that should encourage you if you're the type of person who might want to keep Fred Van Vliet around long term, which I think you should be because Fred Van Vliet rules and he has been absolutely integral to the Raptors turnaround here in the back part of the season. Uh, And it's been in line with him being really bloody good. Just to kind of point out, he's finishing at the rim way more effectively since the arrival of Jakob Pertl. He's shooting 67% at the rim since the Yak deal. He was at 55% this season before that. Historically, he's kind of floated around that 60% range. Like, if he can get over 60, that's good for Fred. Um, last year, I think it was his career best, just over 60, 63%. I don't have his full basketball reference in front of me, so apologies uh, for the inaccuracy of the stats. But I know for sure last year was his best year finishing at the rim. He's been better than that since the Yak or Pirtle trade. And part of it is Yak and the way he draws attention the way all the Raptors other players draw attention around the basket you know there's there's always going to have to be sort of someone shading towards a Yak or a Siakam or a Barnes or whomever's cutting baseline to pick up those passes from Fred and those dump off situations all of that that's helping but I also feel like Fred's adding to his interior bag as it were where and it like not to always make it about Kyle Lowry but he's kind of doing Kyle Lowry stuff in close where he's countering the fact that he is only six foot on a good day in big shoes with just some heady craft, right? The footwork's been really nice, uh, you know, using that pivot foot to just sort of dupe guys into jumping at, at inopportune times, um, the ball fakes, the head fakes, all that stuff. Obviously, we know he's got the big English he can put on the ball from in close as well. That's always kind of been a part of it. I remember our pal Joe Wolfon from the score always saying he's like either the best bad finisher in the league or the worst good finisher, uh, one or the other. He might just be a good finisher around the rim right now. Again, 67% since the Acapurtle trade. Um, he just, it feels like this is the stuff that if he's going to age gracefully, 
these little elements of craft that a guy his size with his athletic disadvantages in the NBA is just going to have to add in. And Kyle did this so well, right? Think back to the series against the, the Celtics in 2020 in the bubble and how just brilliant he was scoring among the trees, moving guys out of the way with his ass. Fred is not as uh, ample in the posterior as Kyle Lowry was, but you're seeing him sort of implement those similar counters and little cheat codes and tricks to get the ball up clean in those close, you know, close quarters situations. Really tough against the Bucks, obviously, you know, Lopez, Giannis, they're just absolute monsters. They're the Bucs are going to win the championship. I feel pretty good about that. They feel like the only serious team in the NBA right now. I know the Sixers look good, but like, well, talk to me when the Sixers are in the playoffs with James Harden. Uh, <laughs> the Bucs are just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's, uh, uh, you know, I don't think it speaks ill of Fred that he maybe struggled scoring inside against the team that makes everybody struggle scoring inside. But generally speaking, just sort of on the whole, he's really working in a little bit more in terms of like counters to his lack of size. And I think that's a massive, massive development Loving to see that, and hopefully that can continue. The other sort of note I had from the weekend, you know, I'm just kind of going through my my box score notes and my uh, just thoughts that I jot down on my notepad as we're watching these games, but really lovely to see Precious Achua get back in the lineup yesterday against the Bucks, and I think Nick Nurse has kind of played this one really, really well, and this honestly goes back to what I was talking about in the first section of the show, about how the Raptors are putting guys in a better position to do the things they're good at. You know, Precious Achua gets a couple games off, you know, slow things down, give him a chance to kind of see things from the sidelines. I think it was a totally justified call. And after the game against the Wolves, Nurse noted after the second DNP in a row for Precious, he's probably going to get some pretty heavy time against the Bucks. And I like that. Yes, the Bucks are a very good opponent, but it's also the exact exact type of team where Precious is going to come in handy because he's a ridiculous defender and he's one of the best guys you could throw on Giannis to hopefully slow him down. Look, Giannis was insane yesterday. He goes nine for nine from the field for a 22, 13, and 10 triple double. But I think the fact that he only took nine shots speaks to the fact that the Raptors did a pretty good job bothering him for most of this game and a lot of his buckets kind of came on breakdowns and you know you know chaos plays that turned into him walking in for dunks and all of that stuff overall that the Raptors did a good job kind of stonewalling him and keeping him from getting up you know 20 25 shots that's good uh and Precious was a big part of that he comes back into this game into the rotation five points five boards three assists as well scored on a pick and roll with Fred Van Vliet kind of a a batted in lob that was nice to see not exactly like the pristine beautiful lob and dunk you'd love to see but still it worked wasn't pretty but it counts and this seemed like just a really nice way to try to reincorporate Achua by putting him into a spot where he can do the thing he's best at which is guard big bruising dudes in space and I I thought he did pretty nicely acquitting himself. It would be lovely to shoot more threes, for sure. Uh, It would be lovely if he could totally just replace Will Barton in those bench lineups because he's got enough three-point shooting to make it so you don't have to play Will Barton, who in theory has three-point shooting, but right now is just like a brick machine. Uh, That would be lovely. But this was a really, really, really nice return for Precious. And honestly, I think you could have argued... Had the offense been going a little stronger in that fourth quarter, the way we kind of expected to, the way it has of late, the way it did in the third quarter against the Bucs, I honestly think there was an argument maybe to close this game with Precious, considering the way he defended. It's tough to take out Gary's shooting, for sure. Um, But with no Barnes, having that extra length would have been maybe kind of valuable. Maybe you'd get back a little bit 
on the defensive end, what you didn't have on the offensive end, you weren't scoring anyway. So maybe Precious comes in for a little bit of a different defensive look. I don't, you know, I don't totally begrudge Nurse for not putting him in. I think there was an argument for it, though. And that I think that speaks to a really nice bounce back here for Precious. We'll have to see it continue, of course. Um, but uh, I think as far as the way they kind of played this from the coaching staff's perspective, I think they managed it pretty darn well. Precious doesn't seem like he's agitated or anything like that from getting the couple of games off. He came in, good attitude, all that good stuff. Nice to see. And, uh, you know, there's a world in which he's like a, an extremely pivotal bench player down the stretch here if he can kind of get back to being Precious Achua, at least on the defensive end, and not making comical offensive mistakes every time he touches the ball. As I've said before, it doesn't take a lot to justify Precious being on the floor because his defense is so good when it's at its best. It was not at its, at its best, I would say, last week. Uh, you know, the Denver game was a really low point for him, I'd say. Um, but overall, good stuff seeing Precious back in there. That was another sort of big takeaway from the weekend. They're going to need him, especially if Scotty's out. They're going to need Precious to chew it down the, tra- down the stretch to flesh out these bench lineups. And they got enough out of him yesterday to, I, I think, keep on justifying playing him going forward. From here on out, uh, we're going to come back on the other side, get into the good, the bad, and the hmm from the weekend that was, the way we round out every Raptors recap episode here on the show. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our friends over at Nissan, who are bringing you, of course, the Nissan Electric Player of the Week, courtesy the Nissan Aria, the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, to be more specific. And this week's uh, Electric Player of the Week, courtesy Nissan, is going to be one Fred Van Vliet. He's just been ridiculous. He gets it on the strength alone of that beautifully elegant, forceful drive into the chest of Giannis Antetokounmpo, pulling up and banking in a mid-ranger over maybe the best defensive player alive. That alone is what gets you the electric player of the week. I'm sorry to everybody else who had good entries, who were themselves stunningly powerful in the way they threw down big yams all season, all week long, but it is Fred Van Vliet, no doubt, for his work over the weekend. He was fantastic. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one EV. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at Built Bar, and Built March Madness is here. It is rolling. The NCAA tournament is uh, is deep now going into the week, second weekend for both the men's and women's sides, and the Built March Madness tournament trudges on as well. It's now time to make your vote count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorite flavor to have them come out and reign supreme. Peanut butter brownie, that's the way to go for me, baby, but you might have your own preference. They have all sorts of wonderful flavors, of course. Over at Built Bar, they got their regular standard bars. they got the puffs, which are marshmallowy and delicious treats. You've got granola bars. They're all in there. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners are going to get a free box of Built Bars. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Built. You got to go to BuiltMarchMadness.com and get your votes in right now as well for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box when you're there. You can also go to Walmart right now, pick a box too, into the pharmacy section. They're super easy to grab. You can vote every day in March. So hop on in and support your pick over at BuiltMarchMadness.com. All right, we've reached the good, the bad, and the hmm, the way we round out every single one of these here Locked On Raptors episodes on the heels of a Toronto Raptors game, a couple of games that we're weaving in here. So just sort of bigger, broader, full takeaways from the weekend. For me, the good from this weekend, and the good from the last little while for this team, frankly, is 
This team has become like a dunks machine now, and it's incredible. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's gotten into them. Not sure what's gotten into OG in particular. He's just like crowning dudes night after night, looking up at the scoreboard and analyzing the quality of said crowning. The double clutch dunk against the Wolves was incredible. Um, obviously, he had the, the putback earlier this week. He had the uh, transition dunk over uh, Josh Giddy. The, the dunks are everywhere. It's incredible. Yak's throwing down dunks. Scotty Barnes had that incredible dunk on the run against the Wolves as well. And then, sneaky thing as well, seems like the Raptors are getting dunked on a lot now too, which, you know, on its face, not the greatest thing in the world, but to amp up the in-game entertainment of a single game, especially if it comes in a game the Raptors win anyway, I'm kind of all right with other teams throwing down huge yams on my television screen, regardless of uh, <laughs> whether it's good or bad for the team I like. And I do wonder, maybe secretly, if Jakob Pertl's arrival has kind of helped with this and made it so the Raptors are more prone to getting dunked on. If you talk to any Spurs fan who followed Yak's career, you know, there's no, there's no denying. Jakob Pertl, incredibly positive basketball player, makes your team better, tries really hard, defends the rim wonderfully, all of that. But I think because he's just like always there ready to defend, he's very rarely making business decisions. It feels like Yak is way more prone to getting yammed on than most other centers in the league. And I kind of like it. I appreciate the the sort of the, the gumption to go up and know this is probably going to end in a poster and still being all right going up and contesting these dunks. Uh, I think Brooke Lopez had one on him in the game against the Bucks. I think Nas Reed's big one came against Yak. It might have been against Pascal. Uh, but I know Yak's been dunked on a whole lot since arriving in Toronto. And I'm fine with that. It's cool. Most of the time, you're you're coming out laughing when, when Yak goes to defend at the rim. Sometimes it's going to end horribly. And I think, you know, anything you can do to raise the dunk factor of any game is always good. I've always wanted the Raptors to be, like, a team where they're just, like, defined by the dunks they throw down. Um, you know, I, I think back to some of my favorite, most memorable sports teams. Like, I loved the Lob City Clippers. They were incredible. I know they were annoying and everyone hated them, but they were super fun to watch because they dunked so much. The Dunk City... Florida Gulf Coast University team is like my favorite college basketball team of all time because of the dunks. The Raptors throwing down big dunks. We love it. Uh, more of them, please. We'll probably have to do some sort of deep dive in the near future on who, in fact, is the best dunker on the Raptors because seems like there's heavy competition. Uh, we're going to move on now to the bad from the weekend that was. And that's the Scotty, Bar Scotty Barnes injury. It sucks. Uh, Hopefully he's all right. He left the game. The x-rays were negative, as I talked about on the broadcast last night, but he will be reevaluated. We'll probably get some word. Honestly, by the time you hear this, we might have another update on Scotty Barnes. Uh, thankfully, no game till Wednesday, so a couple days to rest it, and there's no break, so that's good. But we know OG missed quite some time with a wrist injury. Uh, I believe it was Scotty's non-shooting hand, so maybe that's helpful. Also, not the most helpful because he likes to finish with that left hand. He likes to dribble with the left hand. All of that, it's important to have both functioning hands if you're a professional basketball player, as it turns out. And we did see, for sure, the absence of Scotty Barnes in that fourth quarter against the Bucks. right? Just not having that extra guy to create where you have Drew Holiday just completely draped over Fred Van Vliet for most of that game. And Fred, to his credit, did a great job working around it. Really, really good job from him. Um, but, you know, Pascal, Giannis guarding him for stretches. Lopez at the rim waiting for him. Uh, Middleton even did a pretty good job against him for some stretches. Sometimes he got absolutely cooked. It was kind of a mixed bag there for Middleton. But either way... There's just the roaming presence of Giannis makes it difficult for a guy who lives in the area of the floor that Pascal Siakam lives 
And it just would have been huge to have a third guy you could really trust to go and create for you. I know OG's been killing it of late, but he's not a playmaker. He's more of a play finisher. Same with Gary Trent Jr. They've run through Scotty, Pascal, and Fred pretty much, you know, not equally necessarily. Fred's had a little bit more in terms of the touch share, but Scotty's been right alongside Pascal as far as touches, as far as, you know, possessions that run through him. And not having him is big, even if he's maybe not been uh, incredible all the time. He's had his moments here and there. Of course, he's been, I think, a lot better the last week or so. Um, so it's a shame to see him go down now in particular. But, you know, that that's going to be a challenge. It's going to test their offense. It's going to test whether or not this team can survive without absolutely perfect circumstances too, right? And I think that's important. We talk about the information gathering zone the Raptors are in right now. This is part of it too. Can the starting five be good enough? Can the you know the core players on this team be good enough to carry them when they're missing a guy or two? Because guess what? They've been very healthy. They've been, like, by Raptors standards, as healthy as they've ever been over the last few weeks here, the last month or so. That's been lovely to see, but also it, you can't just count on health always being a thing for you. Even if the Raptors maybe get to dial back their style of play, they'll be less injury-prone, injury less prone to freak accidents on the floor, that type of stuff. Injuries still happen. You have to be able to thrive and you know get through when you're missing important players. And this will be an interesting test of, all right, this core minus one of these core guys, is it enough? Does a bench have enough juice to, to support and supplement and all of that stuff? Um, and it's especially tough right now because Will Barton as like that other offensive creator type is not doing a whole lot. Yes, he can kind of break down the defense time to time. Yes, he can get to pretty decent looks for himself but he's not knocking them down. And at some point, you just got to knock him down. And he hasn't really knocked him down all season long. So I don't trust that there's going to be some big sea change and Will Barton's just going to become an efficient 58% true shooting guy or something like that while Scotty Barnes is out. So it's going to be a challenge for sure. I do think that Fred, Trent, OG, Siakam, Pirtle lineup is, uh, you know, got the, all, the, all the juice, all the, the, the fundamental pieces that you need for a really positive lineup. It was nice to see them finally get catch a groove yesterday after really struggling in their limited minutes together before yesterday. Um, but if they don't have Scotty for a little stretch here, it's going to be a challenge for an offense that's already struggling to, again, turn good process into good results. Without Scotty, they got that, that, that's going to get more difficult. Hopefully, he's all right. Uh, maybe we see Jeff Dowden get the call up. Only seven games left on his two-way, obviously, but uh, maybe you just need him in there as like an extra point guard type with no Scotty available. It's tough to say, um, that, but you know we'll, we'll probably know more. Maybe this is all for not, and Scott will be fine and play on Wednesday, and it'll all be good. He has historically returned from injury pretty quickly and been kind of ready to play through stuff, so we shall see. Uh, let's get now last to the hmm to close out the show, shall we? A thing, a burgeoning trend, a thing that got my eye on. And I think for me, and Alvin Williams is talking about this a lot on the broadcast over the last couple games, they are so bad, it seems, at getting their defense set after makes. And even, you know, obviously everyone struggles in transition. The numbers actually suggest the Raptors have been crushing it defensively in transition ever since the uh, since the trade. Let me just pull it up here. Um, the Raptors on defense transition-wise, uh, 18th. So it's not amazing or anything like that, but it's fine. The half-court defense has been really struggling. And I'm wondering if the half-court defense is what's bearing the brunt of these possessions that are sort of like semi-transition where it's not it's off of a make it's probably not getting classified as a transition possession under cleaning the glasses play classification algorithm or whatever the hell they do to you know divide up all these plays but they're just really struggling to get back it seems and struggling to get it set and you're seeing other teams now realize oh, we can just like outrun them down the floor and we're gonna get easy buckets we're gonna get like half set defenses we can go and exploit 
And look, part of it is because the Raptors crash the offensive glass like maniacs, and they do a very good job of it, of course, as well. Right now, since February the 10th, so, uh, you know, since the Acapurtle trade, they are first in points per miss in uh, in terms of putbacks per cleaning the glass. They are sixth in points per play off of misses. They're fifth in overall uh, miss like plays where they, you know, get a putback opportunity. They're doing it a lot. They're crashing the glass, and they're effectively scoring in those situations. But I wonder what the drawback is if other teams are now using the offensive glass aggression as a thing against the Raptors where they can just go sprint back to the other end. You know, this is the constant push and pull of like NBA trends and coaching and, you know, the the natural inclination for a lot of teams with a lot of these teams over the last couple seasons really prioritizing offensive rebounding in a way that it wasn't being prioritized in the few seasons prior. I wonder if now there's just a more concerted effort to just go run as quickly as you can off of makes, run as quickly as you can, and sort of get down and beat the defense down off of, uh, you know, missed putbacks or, or just, you know, off of defensive rebounds, all of that. I do wonder if maybe the Raptors got to try to find some balance here. Do you maybe change the way you approach crashing the glass? Is Jakob Pertle being your offensive rebound horse going to do it for you when he's your slowest of foot guy? Is it maybe make more sense to have Scotty and Pascal and OG crash from the wings and have Pat, you know, Yak kind of track back and abandon offensive rebounding almost entirely? It would be a shame because he's bloody good at it, and it's been a huge lifeblood for the Raptors on offense. But I do wonder, if, as their offense gets a little bit better here, as you would think, again, the good process starts to lead to better results, can they maybe give a little bit back in the offensive rebounding department to just stop getting just outrun down the floor it's you know yes it's an effort thing too like they should probably try harder to run down the floor but I do think it's more a schematic thing where they are crashing the offensive glass just like they kind of always have they, they are a super heavy offensive rebounding team uh, they're number four in the league since the act trade in terms of offensive rebounding rate like this is what they do but I do wonder if there's a cost to it and if it's just not getting your defense set quite enough and if that's kind of hurting them We'll see. We'll see. Maybe they maybe they find an adjustment for it. Maybe it's small sample weirdness. But that is the point of the hmm section of the show. We will leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, really appreciate you, of course, supporting the show. We'll be back again tomorrow with our pal Vivek Jacob. He's going to stop by. We're going to have a bigger picture conversation about something you have yet to decide what the topic will be but we will uh dig into it with big v as we prep for the raptors uh big homestand again like man they can go 4-0 on this trip on this homestand that is that would be pretty massive although i i do think right now the basketball gods are aligned against the raptors ever reaching 500 so maybe that is the reason to not expect or hope for a sweep of this homestand but if you can come out of here 39 and 37 or at the very least 38 and 38 I think you're laughing and in pretty good spot to go grab that eight seed from the Hawks who are not playing very good ball right now. We will leave it there. Thank you so much again for tuning in. Please go and make your second listen of the day. Locked on Leafs as Mike DiStefano, Dave Morissuti do a wonderful job breaking down the buds as they get ready for their own playoff push as they, uh, they're pretty solidified as the number two seed in the Atlantic division right now, but you never know. Things can go weird and get haywire and wonky. Either way, lots of pressure on the Leafs and Mike and Dave do a great job contextualizing it all for you. Also, Locked on Blue Jays is back soon as well. Craig Ballard taking over the show should be available, I think, uh, in time for the start of the season. So go get yourself subscribed to Locked on Blue Jays as well to be ready for that. And with that, we'll leave you there. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you Tuesday. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. 
you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.